Well, on Monday night, the city of Rock Island recognized Edgewood's Celebrate Recovery in the organization category as the 2022 Citizen of the Year. And let's pray for God to be glorified as this news spread, as this news spreads in our community so many people will find freedom and forgiveness that comes only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, This news will also be announced during the Labor Day Parade. Well, this fall, Edgewood is celebrating 20 years of Celebrate Recovery, which is a Christ-centered, Bible-based, 12-step recovery ministry designed to help people connect or reconnect with God through the new birth and to find hope and healing from past hurt and pain. And it meets at 6 o'clock every Friday night. What an honor and how humbling to be part of a church that takes the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. And I was reflecting upon that this week. All of our ministries focus on equipping believers and evangelizing unbelievers. As we gather, as we grow, as we give, and as we go with the gospel, all for the glory of God. That is certainly true for Celebrate Recovery, but also for Second Winders and Awana and Super Summer Slam and Family Fun Day today, which took place right out in our south lot. I'm not sure how many people were there, but I did hear we served 350 hot dogs. So our student ministry, ministry, mainspring, women's ministry, men's ministry, our care ministries, and our GO team partners as they minister locally and globally. And thank you for when you give financially, you do it for his glory and for the spread of the gospel in our community and on the continents. Well, since we're part of the Quad Cities community, we strive to do all we can right here to make a positive impact in our cities. Uh, That's why in the month of May, we hosted the Law Enforcement Memorial Service. It's also why I serve as the chaplain for the Missing Person Network. And you perhaps heard this week, a 61-year-old man from Port Byron went missing, and he's still uh, missing, which made me think of Della Brill, our member married to John Brill, Della's Son has been missing nearly five years. And I think of Trudy Appleby, who's been missing for 26 years um, here in the Quad Cities. You know, another way you can make an impact here in the community is by locking up your cars, (laughs) even when we're at church. So that's a public service reminder. Uh, So as you know, there's been a rise in cars being broken into and stolen right here in our community and actually right here in this neighborhood. So we're finishing up our mini-series from Romans chapter 8 today. Here's where we've been the past four weeks. Your position in Christ deals with the penalty of your sin. And your practice with the Holy Spirit deals with the power of sin in your life. The second week we learn this, followers of Christ have a new focus, we have a new family, and we have a new future. 
And then we learned week three to get through your groaning, (laughs) and we're all groaning, focus on the glory to come. Last weekend, we are never alone when we're in the groan zone. Well, we come today to the end of Romans chapter 8, and we are about to be moved by a crescendo of praise. So please don't think that we're done with the worship now, and now this is the sermon. No, we're going to continue with our time of worship, a time of praise. Because we're going to see in this section that's punctuated with seven different questions that we're going to be jarred. We're going to be lifted in our minds and our hearts to what Jesus Christ has done for us. I'm going to invite you to stand and let's read the closing verses of Romans chapter 8 together. We'll begin in verse 31. Let's read together now God's inspired, inerrant, and authoritative word. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that great news, church? Yeah. You can be seated. Man, I love being part of a church that cheers, that applauds for the word of God. Now, most of these questions that we just read are rhetorical, but they're no less real. A rhetorical question is a statement intended to give an unforgettable answer in the form of a question. So here Paul uses this probing Q&A format to get us to personally pause and to ponder these amazing truths. And you'll observe, instead of using connecting words, he utilizes this rapid-fire staccato approach. He moves quickly from one question to the next. Well, Jesus did something similar. Are you aware he utilized questions over 300 times in the Gospels? Jesus often answered a question with a question. Well, the first question helps to frame the entire passage. Paul, the preacher, has given a lot of information in the first eight chapters of Romans. And now in these closing verses, watch this. He moves from information, this amazing argument, to application. Why? 
because he wants to see transformation take place. And so he asked this question, what then? What then shall we say to these things? Well, what things? Well, he's tying together the whole of Romans chapter 8, and in particular, everything about justification, sanctification, and glorification, and he's returning to a theme. Oh, you'll see it in verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's also linking back to verse 28. Check this out. We were here last weekend. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What shall we say? I think two things come to mind. Number one, I I can't say anything. What do I say? Have you ever received this like totally undeserved gift and you couldn't even get words out? You're just like stunned? I've mentioned this before, but over the years, Beth and I have received a number of gifts, but one in particular was a brand new car 15 years ago. Just brand new. Here's the keys. It had like eight miles on it. We couldn't even talk. I mean, what do you say with such an outpouring of generosity? Well, here, Paul is stunned by the gift of salvation and the provision of sanctification. So considering all that Christ has done for you, what can you say? Consider Job. Job chapter 40, verse 4. Remember Job asked God a lot of questions? God starts asking Job questions. Hey, Job, were you there when the mountain goats gave birth? Job, were you there when I put the stars in the sky? This is what Job says. Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. So friends, that should be our first response. What then shall we say to all that he's done for us? I can't say anything. But we should also have this response. I must say everything. I must explode with praise and never stop thanking God for what he has done. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in response to the crowds. This is Palm Sunday, shouting out, Hosanna. Remember, the enemy said, hey, keep everybody quiet. Jesus said, hey, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. They can't help it. They can't help it. So like water cascading over a waterfall, these questions serve to celebrate our security in Christ. Let's take the whole sermon, put it in one sentence. If you are truly saved, your salvation is totally secure. And if you doubt that, this chapter, this passage is for you tonight. I see seven reasons why we should explode in worship. Number one, Jesus protects us. Well, let's ponder verse 31. Here's another question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, it's important to read these words carefully because Paul could have asked, who can be against us? 
Well, we can think of a lot of people who are against us, right? But that's not what the verse says. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, let me share how literally this reads. Because God for us, who against us? It's not really a question. It's an exclamation. One pastor says it well. There is no truth more fundamental in all of God's word than this truth. God is for us. God is not against us. God is not neutral toward us. Because of Jesus Christ, once and for all, the question is settled. God is for us. Do you believe that? Some of you don't. Some of you struggle with that. Well, let's keep going. The word for means above, over, on behalf of. The word against means down, upon. Let me simplify it. God is up on you no matter who looks down on you. God is up on you. And if you're a born-again believer, he isn't angry with you. He is so for you. So since God is for us, what difference does it make who is against us? So others may intimidate us, but we have the Almighty on our side. So in elementary school, I I was pretty short. See, now I'm like 6'5", right? (laughs) Okay, I've always been short. But when I was in elementary school, I, I was pretty small. And we didn't really use the word bullied back then, but but I was bullied by some of the bigger boys because I was small. But I had a plan. My plan, whenever I was out on the playground at St. Bernard's School in Watertown, Wisconsin, is to find Dave Theater. Dave was the BMOC, big man on campus. When I say campus, there was like 80 people in our school, right? But when I hung out with Dave, nobody bothered me because he was the big guy. Friend, with God on your side, there is nothing else. There's nothing anyone else can do to you. So ponder Psalm 18, verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. Now, Paul's not suggesting we don't have any opposition I mean, think of our persecuted brothers and sisters. The point he is making is every opponent is puny compared to how big God is. <clears throat> Do you ever get a song in your head and you just can't get rid of it? They call that an earworm. <laughs> it like gets in your head and, and you can't stop thinking about it. It's just like rolling through. Well, As I was contemplating this passage, one of those songs just started going through my mind, and I can't get rid of it. So I thought I'd share it with you so now it gets in your head. It's a VeggieTales song. It's called God is Bigger. You were feeling kind of sleepy, but you couldn't close your eyes because the room was getting creepy. God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla and the monsters on TV. Oh, God is bigger than the boogeyman, and he's watching out for you and me. You're welcome. (laughs) So here's, here's what happens. Many of us judge whether God is for us or against us based upon our circumstances. 
based upon our feelings. If I'm having a bad day, God, why are you against me? Things don't go right in a relationship, God, why are you against me? Things in life go bad, well, God must be out to get us. Things go good, oh, God, you must be for me today. Listen, please get this. If you're a born-again believer, God is always for you, no matter what happens. Now, some of you still don't believe it, so I'm going to push a little bit more. Let's make this promise personal. I'd like you to insert your name into this verse right now. Here's how we'll do it. God is for and you say your first name. Okay, like out loud. We'll do it all together. So let's do it together. Let's try it together. I'll say the first three words. You shout out your name so your ears hear it to complete the sentence. Here we go. God is for. So friend, if you are, <laughs> if you are truly saved, Your salvation is totally secure. Are you tracking? Well, Paul knows we're going to struggle with this, so he keeps going, so let's keep going. Number two, Jesus provides for us. He asks another question, verse 32. He's like, okay, if he who did not spare his own son, but gave him, meaning Jesus, up for us all, if he did that, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, the gift of God's son is the promise and pledge that he not only protects us, but that he provides for us. He gave him up for us all. Do you see that? For us, in our place, instead of us, for our benefit, on our behalf, as our substitute. The apostle is using an argument from the greater to the lesser. So watch this. Since God did not hesitate to give the greatest gift of his son, well, certainly he'll not hesitate to give us lesser gifts if that's what he deems good for us. So it would be like a dad building a full-length basketball court for his son and then refusing to give him a basketball to use. The phrase, graciously give us all things, I mean, that doesn't refer to health and wealth. No, it refers to having everything we need to handle all the hurts which come our way. He has promised to meet our needs, not our greeds. God protects and he provides. If you are truly saved, your salvation is totally secure. Number three, Jesus purifies us. Some years ago, I saw a cartoon and I couldn't find it online but there's like a psychologist talking to a patient. And the psychologist says to the patient, Mr. Figby, I I think I can explain your feelings of guilt this way. You are guilty. (laughs) And we don't hear that a lot in our culture. But friends, we're all guilty of sin. We all fall short of God's glory. 
When we repent and receive Christ, watch this, the Bible says we are justified or declared righteous, and now (laughs) no one can bring a charge against us. So check out the question. He asks the question, gives a very quick answer. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now, my guess is even though you may be saved, some of you hear that accusing anthem of guilt and shame, and it's on playback in your mind. For some of you, it's a loop. You just hear it all the time. On top of that, Revelation 12.10 says, Satan, whose name means adversary, brings accusations against Christians as he... Are you familiar with this verse? For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. But what's he do? He accuses them day and night before our God. So Satan brings up every flaw, every sin, every shortcoming up before God all the time. But listen, none of it sticks because we have been purified positionally. And because God has justified you through the sacrificial death of Christ, no charges can be brought up against you. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. Oh, I love this quote, J.I. Packer. Nobody can produce new evidence of your depravity that will make God change his mind. God justified you with his eyes wide open. He knows everything about you. And he still justified you because of the free gift of his son who died in your place. So if you are truly saved, your salvation is totally secure. Number four, isn't this good, church? Jesus prays for us. So another reason to break out in praise, verse 34, who is to condemn? That's the next question. And notice what he says. Christ Jesus is the one who died, crucifixion. More than that, who was raised, resurrection, who is at the right hand of God, ascension, who indeed is interceding for us, intercession, because no charges can be brought against us, we will not be condemned. Now, our sins deserve condemnation, but note, Christ now commends us. And if Christ died for you, rose from the dead, sits at God's right hand and intercedes for you now, how could he possibly condemn you? I've said this before, but one of my favorite lines in the hymn, and can it be, no condemnation, now I dread. I don't dread it. Why? Because Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. 1 John 2, 1 says we have an advocate who's interceding for us. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Do you remember what Jesus said to the woman who was caught in adultery? John 8, 10, and 11. Her accusers start walking away. Why? Because they're recognizing their own sin. And Jesus says, about the men who walked away. Woman, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I just got goosebumps. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Do you see grace and truth here? I don't condemn you, but don't be sinning. I don't condemn you, but stop how you've been living. Don't do that anymore. Sin no more. According to verse 26, we introduced this thought last week, and we need to say it again because it's so good. According to verse 26, the Holy Spirit intercedes in our hearts while the Son intercedes for us in heaven. The perfect one is praying for those he has purified. Well, consider this. We're protected, we're provided for, we're purified, and we're prayed for. If you are truly saved, your salvation is totally secure. Oh, he's still not done. Jesus preserves us, number five. Look at the next question, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul can barely contain his excitement as he exalts in our security in Christ. Have you ever found yourself in circumstances and conditions of life where you've started to doubt God's love? I think we all have. And there's a nagging fear that if something goes wrong, If we do something, we're going to be disqualified and maybe even cut off from his love. Now, the word separate means to cut off. It was used as a synonym for amputate. Jeremiah 31.3, God says, (coughs) I have loved you with an everlasting love. We will never be cut off from Christ no matter what we go through. So we're like, really? There's got to be something. So Paul then lists seven things which have no power to separate us from the love of Christ. It's interesting, Paul lists these items, note, in answer to the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? See, we normally wouldn't think of these inanimate things as a who. We would think of them as a what. But one pastor points out two reasons why who and not what is used. First, when these things come at us, it feels like a who. And second, Paul wants to set up a contrast with a greater who. Listen, no matter who you have against you, you have a who on your team who is greater than any who on the other side. Listen for how these troubles now, we'll go through this list, they increase in intensity. I mean, it starts off intense, but it only gets worse. He starts off with tribulation. Well, could tribulation do it? Tribulation means to break or be squeezed. It's like outward pressures. Distress literally means a narrow place. This refers to what's happening inwardly, when we can't sleep, when we can't breathe, when we feel hemmed in, when the roller coaster of experiences and emotions, even those cannot cut us off from God's love. Third one, persecution. That refers to suffering because of our faith. Then he, then he lists famine. 
That's this severe want of food. Or nakedness, that speaks of the need for clothes or shelter and often involves embarrassment of being exposed. And then the word danger is the idea of living in imminent and incessant peril. And look at the last one, sword. That word sword is the word slaughter knife. It was used for beheading people. Interesting, look at the list. Paul, at this point of writing, has experienced six of the seven, and he's about to experience number seven when he loses his life by the sword. He quotes Psalm 44, 23, to show suffering should not be strange to us. It's a reminder of what to expect because God's people have always experienced opposition. As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So don't we all face trouble within, hardship without? None of that can separate us from the Savior. Nothing can break the bond between us and God. Those who are persecuted for their faith will never be severed from the love of Christ. And many of the Romans who heard these words, they would see them come true in their own lives as the emperor Nero threw Christians to the lions and burned believers at the stake. Even death cannot separate us from God. One pastor captured this well. The only things that trouble can take away from you are the things that don't ultimately matter. The things that really matter, trouble cannot touch. Friends, if you are truly saved, your salvation is totally secure. Number six, Jesus prepares us. Verse 37, Jesus has prepared us not only to survive, but to thrive. We're called to not just cope, we're called to be uber conquerors. Uh, Do you see it there? No, in all these things, what things? All these hard things, we are more than what? More than conquerors, not just conquerors, more than that, through him who loved us. Verse 36, we're considered sheep to be slaughtered, and here we're called more than conquerors. That's quite a jump, isn't it? A jump from sheep to conquerors. But actually, in Christ, both are true. The word conqueror means to overcome, to dominate, to utterly defeat. This contrasts with sometimes what we say or what I say. How are you? I'm getting by. I'm making it. Sometimes that's all I can say, right? It's all we can say. But would you notice We're called to be more than conquerors. Psalm 60, verse 12, with God, we all will, we will do valiantly. We can be more than conquerors because Jesus Christ is the conqueror. Look at John 16, 33, words of Jesus, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we're called to be more than conquerors, even when we're dealing with health issues, relational ruptures, financial trouble, stress on the job, whatever persecution you're experiencing because of your faith, the key is to think less about the power of things over you and more about the power of Christ within you. So if you are truly saved, your salvation is totally secure. Oh, there's one more. Number seven, Jesus promises us. Oh, meditate on this promise 
I'm in the last two verses. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How comforting to know there's nothing that can sever our relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice Paul is personally persuaded. He's certain of what he writes. You see that? He doesn't say, I think or I feel, maybe. For I am sure. And it's in the present tense, meaning I stand convinced and nothing can change my mind. Oh, notice also how Paul uses the words neither or nor. Those are absolute negatives which can be translated like this. Not even anything whatsoever. Well, next note, Paul is listing extremes which could never separate us from the love of God. (laughs) And when he's done listing these opposites, the conclusion is there's nothing remaining which could possibly separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Well, let's look at them. First, extremes of existence. What are the two extremes? Death nor life. Covers it, doesn't it? Covers the whole range of human experience. And for the believer, death is the doorway to heaven. Its sting has been removed by the Savior, 1 Corinthians 15. Notice next, the extremes of spiritual forces. Okay, so it's not life or death. It's nor angels nor rulers, no matter how strong they might be. Angels can't cut us off from Christ. The word ruler here, many commentators believe, refers to demons. Angels would not undo our relationship with God, and demons cannot. (laughs) Nothing in the spiritual world can separate us from God's love. Notice the next extreme. It's the extremes of time. So he's like, neither things present, so what's happening right now, nor things to come. That's what gives us a lot of anxiety, right? Our future. What's going to happen? So there's nothing happening today which can move you out of the arms of Jesus, and there's nothing you will face in the future that will fracture your relationship with him. Nothing in time, nothing in eternity can separate us from God's love. It's good for us to contemplate the future, isn't it? In three weeks, we're hosting the Prophecy Conference here. And get this, 468 people have already registered for it. And if you want to come and you've not registered, can I just give you a kind nudge? You should do it because when we get to 550, we're going to cut it off. And let me also just make an appeal We're hosting this conference. A lot of people are coming, and we want to be good hosts. We really, frankly, didn't expect this many people to sign up. As you can imagine, the logistics for this conference are really something. Like, where's everybody going to sit? Where's everybody going to eat? All of that. And so we're making an appeal if you are prompted to serve that weekend, to serve Christ by serving others, 
We want to put together a team of greeters, a team of ushers. We know our parking's going to be tight that whole weekend, and so we're looking for a team of people who will serve in the parking lot Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Uh, We're also going to have a bookstore out there. It's like a pop-up bookstore, and we're going to have books on prophecy available. Uh, We're going to need help in registration and serving food and set up and tear down. I hope I'm not overwhelming you on that, but... (laughs) I just want to share some of what I'm overwhelmed with. So, <clears throat> But it's exciting, right? So if you're prompted to do that, we have clipboards out in the lobby with ways that you can serve. Uh, many of you follow the Bible reading plan every month. We reboot this every month because it's hard to stay on track, right? So if you've fallen off on your Bible reading, September, brand new plan. These are available at the resource kiosk, both lobbies. They're also on the app and on the website. Pastor Kyle puts these together, and I love it. The title for September, Preparing for the Lord's Return. We'll be reading in Daniel, Matthew, 1 Thessalonians, and the majority of the month in the book of Revelation. Make sure you pick up one of those. Next, extremes of enemies. Notice Paul says, nor powers. Well, what's that? Well, every power in the world is subservient to the power of Almighty God. This likely refers to government authorities who are antagonistic toward believers. He's not done. Now, he talks about extremes of space. He's like, okay, no matter how high you go or how low you go, nor height nor depth. Let's say it like this. Nothing in heaven can separate you, and hell has no power over you. Nothing overhead or underneath can unsettle you because nothing will swoop down to sweep you away, and nothing can come up to capsize you. Extremes of creation. <laughs> this is so good. It's like when Paul's done with his list, he like, he's like, oh yeah, and nothing else in all creation. Like, he doesn't want to leave anything else out, nor anything else in all creation. It's like a catch-all phrase to let us know nothing can sever us from God's love. That phrase, be able, is translated into English as dynamite. So no amount of TNT can separate us from God's love. It's hard to feel safe in our world today, but if you know Jesus through the new birth, your relationship with him is completely assured. Do you believe that, church? Will you believe that this week when bad stuff happens? Yeah. Well, let's summarize where we've been. Jesus protects, he provides, he purifies, he prays, he perseveres or he preserves us, he prepares us, and he promises us. If you're truly saved, your salvation is totally secure. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, also wrote an autobiography. It's called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And he tells how he went through several years of wrestling. Do you know what he wrestled with? A guilty conscience. And he shares this helpful and practical insight. His words, some of it's older English, but we can get it. But one day, as I was passing in the field with some dashes in my conscience, fearing all was not right, suddenly this sentence fell upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven. 
And I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand, and there I say as my righteousness, righteousness so that wherever I was or whatever I was a-doing, is that a good phrase? Whatever I was a-doing, God could not say of me, he lacks my righteousness. I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, listen, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday and today and forever. God's love for us is unconditional and sacrificial and is fully expressed in the death of his son on our behalf. Romans 8 begins with no condemnation. It ends with no separation. These promises will never be reversed or revoked. Let me say it like this. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. As one pastor put it, God's purpose is unchangeable, his power is unchallengeable, his love is unconditional, so there's nothing I have to fear. I am who you say I am. The who of my salvation is greater than the who of my opposition, and I am more than a conqueror. It doesn't get any better than that, church. Now, let me close with one more question. Oh, it's a big one. It can be an unsettling question, but it's actually the question. Here it is. Have you repented and received Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord? If you haven't and you don't, God will one day be against you. Don't delay a decision. Receive Jesus Christ into your life today, right now. God, I want to pray for that individual who maybe just isn't sure. Lord, may tonight, if they're engaging online or right here in this room, may they make it so tonight because you have done everything. You've finished the work. You have paid the price. Your blood has been shed Father, you accepted the blood of Jesus as full and final payment as our propitiation, our, your satisfaction for all of our sins being paid for, satisfying your holy wrath. And Jesus, thank you that when you were raised from the dead, you showed your power over the devil, over death, and over our depravity. Lord, so for that person, may that individual repent right now, turn from how they've been living, and cry out and say, Jesus, save me from my sins. I receive you into my life. I want to be born again and help me to live for you and under your lordship for the rest of my life, for your glory and your honor. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.